0: Welcome back, everybody, to episode 18 of No Story Left Behind. With me this week was Steve and Josh. They were kind enough to carve some time out of their afternoon to join me over Zoom. And with us is fellow Theta Chi brother, Casey Dean. He has recently retired from the United States Air Force. We talked about his career as a crew member on a AC-130U gunship and his multiple deployments. And with that, I'll shut up and let Casey do the talking.
1: Qualifying well, score, but since I did dual enlistment, what happens is they kind of decide if they want you to be an officer or enlisted. So I took the officer tests, the AFOQT, it's called, you can only take it, or at the time, you can only take it twice in your lifetime. Um, they decided they, I made like just, just above the little qualifying thing. So they're were like, we're going to make you go enlisted. And I was like, okay, that figures. Uh, so I kind of got screwed there by my recruiter. I should have just commissioned and didn't not do enlist. But um yeah, so I enlisted in the Air Force. I didn't know anything about what career field I want to go into. In fact, when I went to sign up for my jobs, they handed me a list of letters and numbers, essentially. One Alpha <laughs> this, one Bravo this. And I looked at the guys like, I don't know what any of these things are. And he pulled me aside. He looked at my ASVAB, and he was like, all right, you want this, 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 this. This was cool. And he basically chose for me. And I was like, all right i would just no trust him. i i, I could have been really screwed i'm lucky that guy actually liked me he liked my asbest scores because he could have screwed me over but um getting a one off a of nine special missions aviation uh was a real a godsend over getting like maintenance or you know security forces mm-hmm. which is military police um there's no telling what it could have
0: got so going back a little bit though i mean how did your family react to you joining i mean did you talk to your or did you talk to your family before you pulled the trigger completely? Or? Oh, God. Oh, that no. uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I decided what I want to do for me. Uh, so I decided I need to go military to uh, you know, get this experience, uh, serve. It was also kind of a like I mentioned before, I was going to be a cop so I could like, you know, give something to a community, serve in some aspect. So this was kind of my way of serving, you know in some aspects um, and I went to my family my parents I think like maybe two weeks to a month after I started talking to a recruiter about it and mm-hmm. I just told I'm like yeah I want to go military and <laughs> they just had to accept it. they're like okay well that's probably, probably what's best. <laughs> They didn't they're try really to supportive. talk you out of it or anything. No, no, they they're really supportive in, in whatever decision I make. Uh, if anything, they they try to talk me. My dad tried to talk me into staying in because uh, <laughs> I think he likes uh, he thinks I'm doing really well in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, my time to get out. It's my time to get out. So, after you recruiting and you have
0: – how do you feel you know leaving for boot camp for the first time? I mean, and what is what is basic training for the Air Force like,
1: it. I was. I didn't know what to expect. Uh, I was nervous. You know, it's 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 one of those new chapters you start in your life, similar to how you know you leave co- you leave high school to go to college. You don't know what to expect. Obviously, you're excited for that. Um, you leave college to go to your job. You're excited. You're nervous. This was a nervous that I knew I would like. There was nothing to look forward to. I was. I was. Uh. Yeah. That's the best way to describe it is just nerves and um, uncertainty. In addition to that, I I had gotten assigned as a special missions aviator where I was going to go fly on planes um, and I had never flown on a plane in my life. My first flight was flying too basic and luckily, like the first airplane I was on was this tiny little, you know, like 20 man airplane going out of Shreveport to uh, some, I think Houston or Dallas, one of the two. And I actually loved it. I love the, uh, I love flying just as a passenger at the time. So
0: that's a good way to find out if you have a fear or not oh, <laughs> especially yeah. going into the air force. Oh yeah. So then what's your, what's basic training like? Uh, you know, I've heard stories that you guys get to get up around noon or so train till two, and then you go back to your <laughs> barracks and hang out.
1: <laughs> so like, I won't even like contend, obviously I, I would assume it's, it's not as much fun For like, obviously, Marines gonna have a lot rougher basic training. Army's probably a little worse. Air Force, it definitely wasn't fun. Um, I'd say just the lack of sleep is what sucked the most. And um, I know most people. don't usually. This is gonna. It might be kind of graphic. Most people don't even use the bathroom until like a weekend because of the stress. People get clogged up. Um, <laughs> for, for some reason, that's a detail I remember. Like everyone's like, "Hey, like I haven't." Done, and some people actually had to go. uh <laughs> one kid. It was like two weeks in. He still hadn't gone number two. He had to go like have a procedure done. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's 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 really just being able to get yelled at and just taking it. And, you know, that's the bulk of it.
0: And then because you already have the, your MOS set up for the, uh, special aviations, you said? Yeah. Special, yeah. Special missions aviator. Yeah. So is, is your pipeline in basic change at that point, or is that more when you get to AIT?
1: So everyone, no matter what job you're going into, unless you're going, uh, like a combat controller, like, a Boots on the ground kind of Air Force job. You're going to have the same basic experience, whether you're going to finance something desk job or whether you're <laughs> going to go be a flyer. It's not until you're out of, you know, those eight or seven weeks, whatever it is now, out of basic or boot camp, that you're going to go to your technical school, your technical training for your specific job. Um, and then, uh, depending on what you're doing, you can be sent. You know, who knows where. Uh, Mine, most flyers, so if you're a flyer in the Air Force, there's only one basic camp for the Air Force. You go to Lackland, San Antonio, Texas. And if you're a flyer, you have to go through a three-level course where you learn the basics of flying and you prove that you're smart enough to do it because not everyone is apparently. And they fail out of flight fundamentals. So um, that's your first step as a flyer. Flight fundamentals, that, and
0: would that be equivalent to getting uh, like a pilot's license,
1: then? Uh, uh, not quite. So, so we were we were enlisted. We we're we we're going to fly as load masters, um, special missions aviators, the few of us that did that, um, boom operators, people who do like refueling. So we we're doing the enlisted side of flying. So uh, not flying the plane, more like the engineering type, if you will, the grunt work. <laughs>
2: Does the Air Force have their own schools? Hey, Casey, I'm Josh, by the way. Hey, how's uh, going? Jennifer? <laughs> it now, you can call me Jennifer if you really want. But, um, if it's going to go any further than that, take me out to dinner first. <laughs> um, so, like, is there um, – do you guys – first off, i got to ask you this because I'm Army. I know Steve is Army. Do you, Air Force guys ever go – God damn it! I should have freaking joined the army.
1: Or, no, because
2: I know not, I, army guys are
1: always. I've Ar- I've heard army. that so much, and you hear it all the time. And it's it's one or two things when you meet, like an army or marine guy. Uh, they usually have about the same attitude of either like they call you chair force and they kind of like you know they make fun of you, or they say that They're like, man, I wish I would have gone Air Force. Yeah. Uh, so it's two attitudes to that. <laughs> which is always so I've funny. Never
2: an Air Force guy go, God damn it, I wish I would have joined the fucking army.
1: Absolutely you know? none of them. Although I have seen uh I know a guy who was army for most of his career and he switched to Air Force Reserves, I think, and he actually regrets it. He says that he, he gets paid more it's like nicer facilities in the Air Force. But the he to him he said the army was much more organized and like you know as far as like doing stuff like paperwork and stuff all that was like streamlined and i can tell you just trying to out the air force at herbert it and a lot of people had the same excuse of like covid and, and whatnot but it was a, a nightmare trying to figure out everything and what i needed to do and get done so um i've heard the army has everything figured out and and they're more organized at times so that is false.
3: <laughs> I don't know who's talking <laughs> about it. I can't sure. attest to it. Um yeah. I was waiting for you to say something, Steve. It took it <laughs> took me two it took me like two goddamn months to get out of the army and it was just, No, you need this signature before you can get this signature. Right. Wait, actually you need to go to this place and it was just me running all over Fort Carson for like You'd, two months so you that you would I could think get
1: they'd out. have these processes streamlined with people leaving all the time, but it's a lot of like me calling an office, them not answering or them telling me, Oh, you need to call this number and it is I had a likewise uh, a similar
3: experience, and then you find out that the office you need to go to is only open for an hour and a half, like two days a week. And you're yep, like,
1: just imagine trying to do that. How how is this <laughs> Yeah,
2: I think there's probably more similarities than there are differences. So, right, I don't know. Maybe one one person out of ten probably has a great experience. So, <laughs> I got a question for you. So, like, I'm I'm, I'm loadmaster. Like, do you guys go to some of the same schools as as the army? Because I, I know when I was at I was at Fort Lee, which is like a lot where the rigging guys go, and you know I think the transportation. Yeah, because you you go through Fort Lee and they got that big sign up there that says when you hear mighty roar, this is the Transportation Corps, or some lame ass shit like that. You know.
1: So I can't really address. I'm sure. I'm I'm sure. There are times when like those courses kind of like, you know, crossover where Army teaches Air Force, Air Force teaches Army. But I, I'm i not really a loadmaster. I can't claim uh, it. No, I'm I was a, just saying
2: it's like if, if there's something similar along the way. I was just curious.
1: That's all. I know I know when I was in um, – when I was on Lackland San Antonio, that's where security forces, our military police trained. And then there were Marines there who were in the same dormitory or barracks as us, and they were there learning their military police job with our security forces. I uh, yeah,
2: a lot of crayons. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they were, it was interesting to have them around. There were a couple of times where they kind of bumped heads with us. <laughs> but
0: <Yeah. laughs> so, uh, you mentioned there's three phases to your training. What's uh, what's phase two and phase three like?
1: So um, it depends on what you want to look at as a, as a phase. So you went through basic, from there I went to uh, flight fundamentals, which was just a two or so week course. Uh, to wash out people. Um, from there, I went to special missions aviator training where I get my wings, uh, which was geared toward, again, kind of a washout course. I think it had like a 60% washout or something like that. Uh, you, they just like fire hose you with information you know, for a day or two, and then you took a test on it. And then from there, we went to SEER up in Washington, uh, which was Jeez. a jolly Sir. old time survival survival evasion evasion. resistance and escape yep uh go up there to do what they do and um yeah from there i went came down to herbert field where i started training on the aircraft itself my specific aircraft which for me was the gunship the u model ac-130u which took about it depends on the the pipeline but for me it took about six to eight months but of just training Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do like classroom stuff and then you do ground trainers when you go out to the plane and you practice gun malfunctions and, you know, pre flights and everything you need to do. And then you have so many flights where you have to learn for us the loadmaster job and the gunner job um, before you check out and you go operational at the fourth SOS.
0: So then, what are your do du- you loadmaster aerial aerial gunner? I mean, what are your duties and what are you training for
1: for those so months? So the the Air Force, in their ultimate wisdom, they uh, they got rid of the the job of aerial gunner years ago before I came in. And uh, what they did, they were trying to help Manning. So they got rid of the job of aerial gunner and loadmaster on the AC-130 and combined them both into one job. So you had to learn both jobs. <laughs> Uh, and they called it special missions aviator but we just still call it ourselves aerial gunners and um on the j model the new gunship they also have to learn the engineer's job so they're really learning three jobs uh they don't have engineers on the, on the getting G paid model. for one i assume and get it paid for one yeah so um yeah i forgot your original question but uh, they, they uh keep so, condensing. Yeah. i was just curious as
0: to what your uh your your duties are and what you're training oh. or what you're learning during that training process.
1: Right. So we learned uh, the basics of a load master's job to where we calculate weight and balance of the aircraft. Uh we're out front for starting engines to make sure the engines turn on. we uh we'd be in the back. We check hydro lines and uh we know the emergency procedures for like flap malfunctions and landing gear malfunctions. That's the load master side and we'd also scan for threats uh, downrange in the bubble. And then as a gunner, your bread and butter is knowing gun malfunctions. You're loading the weapons, you're giving, it's called putting them on the line. You would basically allow the weapons to aim where the sensor operator is aiming. Um, and you're fixing the guns whenever they inevitably break, which was pretty common on the 40 millimeter. <laughs> um.
0: So what you have... You have three
1: guns up on,
0: on the yep. AC-130, so you have a 40 mil, and what are the other two? Is there an so answer?
1: they had a, a 105 millimeter, which was originally a Army field artillery gun they strapped onto the aircraft. Um, <laughs> <and> so <laughs> you, can, you can literally feel if you go up on the flight deck, whenever it goes off, you can feel the the plane will slightly shift in the back. Uh, from the cannon Mm -hmm. Uh, then we have the 40 millimeter which was originally in a navy anti-aircraft gun this was the last thing like last vessel uh, aircraft or navy otherwise that the 40 was on so we were literally running out of parts they don't make these parts anymore uh they're all old and now that the u-models are tired so is the 40 millimeter so they have all this old ammo and stuff they don't know what to do with (laughs) pretty funny (laughs) and then the 25 millimeter which is essentially a giant gatlin gun uh shire, fired uh 1800 shots per minute give or take 100 shots um and that too is retired since the u-model retired
0: <laughs> i know i've been joking with people this week mentioning that i can be talking to you and it's this i wish i could have been a fly on the wall during the drunken conversation of yeah well i can make an artillery can fly
1: <laughs> yeah here comes yeah. ac-130 Hugh. <laughs> yeah they uh that's one of the jokes is that they've literally, uh, militarized math. Cause if you think about firing a cannon, you know, 10,000 feet in the air from like a mile or two out and having it hit directly on a target, you know, while you're moving 200 knots in an orbit, I don't know who figured out how to make that precise, but, uh,
0: <laughs> so what's it like being up there? Uh, I saw your pictures It looked like you've done some combat missions, but I mean, just for training, it's not a comp- uh, compressed, it's a compression the compartment
1: no yeah it's not uh it's not airtight um so it's training was, was super chill you're you're usually you're just on your toes uh during train lines you're getting asked questions by your your lead gun or if there's an evaluator or instructor on board you're you're just being put through the ringer um to make sure you're proficient um downrange a totally different animal and how you operate you know you you turn the You operate with the lights off. It's just a green light, and you have a little, you know, probably a headlamp around your neck with a red light uh, because it's lights out downrange. We operate at night. So um, you have to learn how to function in the dark um, and usually without your checklist, even though you're supposed to use your checklist. If you're in combat, you don't have time to sit there and flip through a book to figure (laughs) out what to do. If if you're shooting, troops are probably in contact, and you want to be, you know, you know, quick, proficient. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it was a uh, it was a lot of learning at all times. It, that checklist, it eventually. I mean, are
0: you drilling through that and so to the point where it's a second nature for you.
1: Then it is. Yeah, you, if you're being, if you had a evaluation to where you're being tested, you probably took the time to read each step. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're a proficient gunner and you're downrange and like you're deployed they expect you to be able to do everything without that checklist 100 percent. so
0: after training then were you deployed or raise your unit deployed right away or you have some downtime yeah. here
1: the fourth sos was one of the most deployed squadrons of the air force the gunships were um they're Pretty much deployed at all times. I can't speak to what the J models are doing, but to my knowledge, they also are deployed at all times. Um, you could pretty much deploy as much as you wanted, as to my understanding. I never really fought for deployments, but uh, I deployed once a year or so. I, I got out of training, I think, in August or so, and I deployed that December, uh, late December.
0: And you went over to Afghanistan?
1: I, I was in Afghanistan for all three. That's that's where we were for all of ours, um, Bagram. Um, so it is uh, – the best way I could describe it every time I got off the rotator coming in country was dusty, and I hated it. Uh, the second I got off the plane, I was like, I can't wait to be back home where there's fresh air because I get off the plane in Afghanistan, and I could just taste the dust in the air. And, <laughs> yeah.
0: So for you, I mean, what's it like going out on your first deployment?
1: I mean, of course uh, you're, so. so I was I was nervous. I was also excited. You know, you don't know what to expect. Um, you learn a lot. You know, from your crew, uh, you learn a lot from the missions. You learn pretty fast because you're, you're flying so much. First off, uh, the one thing that surprised me so much that I wouldn't have expected was how often. Afghan, the Afghan natives would be active at night, like shouldn't you be in bed? And you'd see a farmer out at you know the, the middle of the night farming, and be like, "That's pretty suspicious." He's you know so many hundred yards away from the friendlies. Like he's probably not friendly, but it happens so often. You're like, "All right, well, I guess that's just what they do to avoid the heat is they mm-hmm. farm in the middle of the night." So you see a lot of weird stuff, especially on the gunships, since you have a bird eye view of the entire landscape. Um, sure. <laughs> and
3: that is the most advantageous yeah. time for them to farm yeah i it just is remember like, it was like two three in the morning they'll be out there right
1: yeah digging I the remember.
3: irrigation ditches yeah no that's that usually they're not it's nothing nefarious,
1: nefarious yeah. yeah being a new guy like i remember hearing about it like they talk about farmers being up and uh i was like there's no way that's just a farmer but uh yeah i quickly learned that that it's pretty common for people just to be doing random stuff in the middle of the night
0: and for you being so how many guys are on a in a crew for ac-130u
1: so for the u model we had 13 to 14 uh we flew with five aerial gunners which was my job um you'd have one person in the right scanner window just looking out of a window the whole night for threats or tracer fires you'd have one guy in the bubble acting as a lobemaster where you were just had your head hanging out of that bubble you had a bird's eye view of the whole landscape so if there was a fire or a tracer fire or anything that happened headlights from a vehicle you saw it um you're there to look for threats and uh dispense defensive maneuvers if you had to um and the other three are on the gun deck so one person is pulling the brass out of the 105 the other person is operating the 105 and the third guy he'll put the 25 on the line like make it ready to fire from there it's mm-hmm. pretty much automatic and he'll load the 40 millimeter and handle all the malfunctions that will inevitably happen um,
0: and what's it you know i mean you guys are in your own little world when you're working up there. I mean, on a previous episode, I got to talk to a World War II crew chief and his, he, he mentioned, you know, when he first met the pilots, he said, when we're down here on the, on the flight line, you know, salute, call me sir. But when we're up there, my name's Joe or you know, whatever his name is. I mean, was it a little bit more Relax like that for you, or is
1: it still? That's the and it's it's different per aircraft, but the the standard is that there is no rank on aircraft to where you can you talk to an officer and even if you had like a a major lieutenant colonel if they're doing something or they're in your way you move them out of your way tell them what they need to do in the gunship community uh, and it's like this in a lot of spec ops communities it was really lax and I hear a lot of people who get surprised of. About the stuff we we've done with our officers and around our officers to our officers, <laughs> um, the fourth SOS. Uh, obviously, there is a difference in rank, and if it came time to it, we'd respect the rank. But as a whole, I feel comfortable saying most things I would to my regular like enlisted, you know, coworkers as I would an officer. Um, yeah. <laughs>
2: What was your unique tempo, what was your operational tempo like? like how many missions were you flying a day or
1: oh my god so um it's it's dependent on the time of year winter is usually pretty slow so when i my first deployment when i first got there i had a a, a bad i guess view of what it was like i had a bad uh, idea of the ops tempo cuz it was snowing it was january we flew six times in january so to me i was like oh this is easy like you know <laughs> we didn't fly very much we were really just hanging out and then it became springtime where we were flying every single day, talking like eight to 12-hour missions, like overhead. Uh, it gets to a point where you, you have flight hours and flight limitations you're not supposed to break. They sign waivers for that stuff, and they say you're flying anyway. Um, uh, it got pretty fast, and uh, you shot a lot, and it was busy. You, you just – you made the time to work out at the gym and to do laundry when you're on the ground. Other than that, you know, you were, uh, you, you were flying.
0: <laughs> well, back in, back in January then, I mean, what are you doing during your downtime? I, I imagine trying to take time to get the maintenance we, on the, on the gunship done. And
1: So downrange is, uh, that's the time when you work out a lot, <laughs> you work out a lot. Um, for us, we weren't doing anything in at the time. We weren't, we weren't flying so much. I played a lot of Catan, man. I, I learned that <laughs> game in and out. We played a lot of board games. We actually held a Gunship Olympics at one point. Um, it was my crew versus <laughs> the other crew. Each crew picked like, the events. I mean, we did uh, – God, what were some of them? One of them was uh, one person from each crew had to run, I think, 10 laps around the, the dormitories. And after every lap, they had to down – and O'Doul's beer, which is a <laughs> alcohol-free beer. Uh, we had another another one where one member from each crew member had to finish an MRE. Whoever had finished an MRE the fastest one. So um, we kept ourselves entertained with uh, stuff like that. Um, man.
0: But once you you know, like you're saying back, come springtime is down to the brass tacks then.
1: Yeah. Once once you start flying and you get busy. Uh, it's, it's down to brass tax. So I mean, so who are you
0: supporting when you're out on when you're doing flying missions? Are you supporting your um, I guess typical ground troops? Are you um, on 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 deck for other spec ops?
1: No, it's uh, it's a spec ops thing. So we supported um, gosh, uh, a number of different spec ops nationalities uh, from Europe. We supported um, mainly army rangers most of the time we supported afghan spec ops who are usually accompanied by army rangers or air force uh, ground controllers um gosh a number a number of people used to, i mean it was really interesting to see the variety of like badass door kickers there were from different countries <laughs> um and just uh get their thanks, you know, after a mission. Um, there are a lot of really cool people we got to work with.
0: Did you ever have the chance to meet the guys later on, on base or?
1: Oh yeah. Um, there was a number of ops. We went on to where either that night after we landed, we went back to ops or either that maybe the next day, uh, they would come in and, uh, they want to either review the tapes or, you know, give us their thanks. Sometimes they give us, um, I <laughs> remember, like, just, you know, not, I don't want to say war trophies, but just little tokens of affection, I'll say. Um, yeah, the Brits were really fun to work with, I'll say. Those were some really funny guys. Um, real badasses. So,
0: supporting Earl, I imagine you can't do anything unless they call in support. I mean, if shit really hits the ceiling fan, I mean, what's it like then for you guys up in the air?
1: Uh, so,. It's, it's interesting. So as a gunner, uh, when we weren't – when I wasn't scanning in the bubble or scanning the right window, we're really just sitting around waiting for something to happen. I'll go into the sensor booth, and I would watch the feed. You listen to radios. You've know, you, you got all kinds of comms up, um, and you just BS. Sometimes I just sit there and read. My, I read a book and wait for something to happen, <laughs> and then usually you'd hear stuff start to spin up. You'd hear this guy's moving this way. This is happening, and you kind of get those – queues to like get ready in case something goes off, and uh, it can happen pretty fast. Uh, we were in Helmand once, Helmand province, just watching. We're actually supporting a regular army convoy, but we were there just because they knew that that area was controlled by uh, the whole village was controlled by ISIS, and they were trying to clear that out. Um, and then there was nothing happening, and out of nowhere, uh, it was like sixty or so. ISIS fighters like popped up in a trench line because they had been using mud covered blankets to cover their IR feed, like their, you know, heat signature. And they had mm-hmm. planned this whole ambush. Um, so stuff like that can happen. You have flights where you didn't shoot at all and nothing popped off. That's a lot of the time, but uh, you, you never knew. Um, yeah. So,
0: decompress. That's the word I was looking for. So you're in a decompressed airplane, you know, at, 10,000 feet. I mean, what's it like when, when one of those guns go off? I mean, I imagine you're wearing ear protection or is that not a standard issue?
1: You're supposed to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you usually put in, um, you know, ear protection and you had your, your headset on. I'll say that the 105 isn't as loud as you would imagine. I know it's a cannon, mm-hmm. but it was more of like a base. If you, if you imagine that just a, a light boom, um, same thing with the 40, it, it, it was loud, but, Louder than that is the aircraft props itself. Like you said, it's a decompressed airplane, so you hear everything on the outside. Um, so yeah. No, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my uh, my hearing is is probably pretty shot at this point. But um. Steve, I think you brought that up uh, on last week's
0: episode that it's not service related. Seems to be the standard line.
3: <laughs> uh, if you don't complain about it, then yes, they'll be like, well, there's no paperwork. So I <laughs> guess it's yeah. not service related.
1: <laughs> there, there were a number of no paperwork related things with the gunship. Um, there were a number of times where they brought in like medical people to fly on the aircraft to do tests. And there was like a number of years ago, they did an air quality test. And those doctors were like, you guys should be on oxygen at all time." You guys should have gloves on at all time. You should be you know, changing out of your uniform as soon as you land. And they're talking about you shouldn't be eating on the aircraft because there's so much lead in the air. And we're like, that's just how you have to operate. And the higher ups, I think they ended up shredding those reports because they were like, if this gets out, you know, they're not going to be able to fly the gunships. So uh, <laughs> I'll, um, I'm waiting for my lung cancer to kick in any day now. Let's see. <laughs>
0: After this, so how long were you in Afghanistan for that first, first deployment?
1: So be, we did pretty quick turnaround because we flew so much and you ran out of flight hours, you kind of became restricted. So uh, my first deployment was four months um, compared to like – I know like my brother-in-law, he's deployed in the army right now. He's gonna be gone for a year to be, that is crazy. I can't imagine what you guys go through. Um, Cause yeah, our deployments were usually fairly <laughs> short, like four months, I'd say is an average. My next two were, my next two deployments were both three month deployments. So um, yeah.
0: And come back from there, I mean, come back to I imagine the uh, same base, the Hurlburt in Florida. Right. So what are you doing between deployments? Are you doing training workups or do you have downtime to go out and do other things?
1: It's a regular, I mean, uh, so between deployments, you you fly about two to three training lines a day, Um, you know, which that'll, you know, could be a 10 to 12 hour work day. And then on the days you weren't flying, you had an additional duty. So you had another job where you'd be working as a scheduler, scheduling the flights, you could be working as, um mobility making sure everyone's good to uh, deploy i worked mcc which was basically the front desk receptionist clerk of the squadron if you will and then i got moved to resources which is the one where the we were the ones who bought all the gear uh we paid the bills we did the financing of the squadron which was a really fun office to be in uh (laughs) helping to control the money but and what's your rank at this point uh, I am leaving as a staff sergeant. Okay. So E five.
0: And you you mentioned in your email when we've been talking over the last couple months. So you had your tail swat or your tail broke when you were you're
1: down in Canada or up in Canada oh, rather. Right. Yeah. So was that between uh, deployments or were you leaving on deployment? That was I. That was my last. After that, I didn't have any more deployments. That was. Um, <sighs> one of my last times going down range uh so we have tail swaps basically you can't keep an aircraft in afghanistan forever you know they have limitations so what they do is they swap those aircraft out with stateside aircraft you do that Mm -hmm. you have to fly an aircraft over to afghanistan let them configure it get an old craft aircraft that's been there for however many months and fly that one back it's called a tail swap Well, the gunships were so heavy, and they're so old, uh, or the U-models were. We broke a lot, so you ended up breaking in (laughs) convenient places. Um, We legitimately did break in Newfoundland, Canada, um, which was our first stop. Uh, We were there for eight days, so uh, you got to… We got to experience snow, uh, play around in the snow, meet some um, some locals. Uh, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I still keep in touch with a couple of them. Uh, Newfoundland, Canada was a great place to be stuck in for eight days, I'll say. Uh, yeah.
0: Where, where else have you been? Right. Afghanistan, the only place did the Air Force send you or have you gone other places?
1: Afghanistan was the only place I was deployed, of course, like you stopped at other places on the way, mm-hmm. like al Udeid and Kuwait. We did deploy, there were some that deployed to Turkey at one point, um, but that was uh, short-lived. On the tail swap, I went to Newfoundland, Canada. We were in Rota, Spain for a minute. Azores, which is this island in the middle of the Atlantic. Um, Greece, Italy, uh, we were there for a night or two. Uh, I went TDY uh, for uh, just training and work up to Washington State. Uh, around um, around Tacoma, Washington, for a week or so. That was fun. And
0: so, what, what is TDY?
1: TDY, temporary duty, is basically they say, all right, you're going to go – it's like a little vacation almost. <laughs> they say, you're going to go do your job at this other base for a week or two or three just to get, like, a change in pace. You know, um, we actually went up there in relation to doing some testing – um, for a certain company uh, so we didn't even shoot when we were up there we were just flying around and um, it was it was a fun TDY but yeah a lot of jobs I'll at least, I don't know how it works in the army I'm sure they do the same thing or something similar a lot of jobs will do TDYs where you you go to another base for a bit and you enjoy another base you get a little change in tempo and hopefully you learn something from it
0: Josh Steve did you guys ever do anything like that
1: um <laughs> Person
0: was a black hole.
3: It, <laughs> once you were once you were there, it was not letting you go unless you got out.
2: <laughs> once you're to your unit, you're pretty much there unless you promote or you know you reclass or do something. I mean, you can request going places, but, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. So, how often did you your, um, Casey? Did you what was the attrition rate like for the crews how often was like your commander changing or your I don't know I don't know the structure of, of what a crew is like So um structure was in there but so what what was the rotation within the crew there
1: So with crews I mean you flew with a different crew every time you flew home station it was training line whoever was available to fly as a pilot and all that stuff you you're constantly flying with someone new um and the squadron itself as far as command uh that I feel like it was a pretty regular change of command that you would see anywhere else you know every year or maybe every two or three years you get a new commander um downrange when you deploy that's the only time that you'd be flying with pretty much the same crew every day in and out so you kind of build relationships with your crew you you have a standard that you all work on you know what each person, you kind of have a norm that you're going to do with this set crew. Strengths and weaknesses um, and all that. Exactly, yeah, and you have crew things that you agree on, like, hey, if this happens, we're going to do this, X, Y, and Z, all that stuff.
0: Yeah. So being trapped up in a basically a tin can, I mean, imagine not that guys in their early twenties into their early thirties or so have egos or anything like that. But I mean, do you ever find yourself button heads with one another? Uh,
1: there's been times, I mean, for the most part, crews got along pretty well. I can think of a few instances where like people didn't get along and if it got severe, uh, the command could say, all right, we're going to swap the crews up a bit to mix things up. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think most people just get along pretty well in the gunship community. I can think of maybe one scenario to where me, and I've I've lived with the same roommate the last like four years or so uh, here at Herbert, but we had a prank war that uh, got out of hand, and uh, <laughs> Go we on. got pretty mad at we got pretty mad at each other. It started with I was there for ten. I was just there for ten days. I was doing that tail swap tour. I bought a plane downrange. I was bringing one back, so I was only there to drop off a plane and bring back an old one. I was sleeping. He was there deployed. So he was there for a few months at this point. I got to sleep in since I wasn't doing missions. And he woke me up with a flashlight in my face and then a Nerf dart to the head. And I was like, what the crap? So naturally, he went on an op that night. So I had all the time in the world to you know, plan my revenge. I went outside. I filled a little rucksack. Rucksack with rocks, this salt rock they, they put everywhere on base. And I went up to his room and I put rock in all his stuff. I mean, like uniform pockets, sleeping bag, <laughs> under his sheets, uh, in his Tide Pod, in his shampoo bottle. And for whatever reason, I think he's a really big hair guy. When he got back, that's the thing that set him off was that I put a rock in his shampoo bottle. <laughs> so I was showering uh, later and he stole my towel and all my clothes. And I was like, come on, all right, cool. And I stood there and I was like, I'm not leaving the shower naked, like you're gonna bring that stuff back. And he brought me a trash bag and he put that there. And to get back to my room, I would have had to walk by like everyone. So um, I, that, that, that made me pretty mad. So what I did was instead of going to my room, I went to his room, I grabbed his sheets and I wrapped myself up in his sheets to go back to my room naked, <laughs> went to his room. Um, at that point he was mad. I was naked in his sheets. So he literally dove naked into my bed and started rolling around. And our other guys who are in my room were like, what is going on? Like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and, um, Oh God. Yeah. I, I forgot what happened after that. He talked, I talked about throwing his boots outside or something. Uh, one of our leadership was worried. We were about to fight. And uh, we didn't. We we're we were friends, so we just kind of cooled off. We washed each other's stuff, and uh, that was that. But um, <laughs> yeah.
0: So on your downtime, <clears throat> were you able to get time to to uh, call back home, uh, keep in touch with family and friends back here?
1: Oh yeah. Um, I mean, luckily in this digital age, you know, it's not like it used to be like where you had to go wait at a, you know the toll phone or anything. You could literally just Skype, FaceTime to back home. So depending on how often you want to do that, you could probably find the time of day before and after an op to call your wife, significant other kids, wherever you wanted to.
0: And I, I imagine there, well, obviously there, you can't talk about everything that you're doing, but I mean, do they have like a, a do and don't list, if you will, for when you're talking to um, your friends, family, whoever,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, there's the stuff that you shouldn't talk about is obvious. Like, you know, as far as like when you're about to go out on an op and like what you're doing. Opsec. Um, op-sec yeah. They had, they called it River City. There'd be periods to where they literally turned off all the Wi Fi and everything. That way people couldn't talk to people back home because uh, they were afraid that people would, you know, let out certain information. Uh, usually it's unfortunately when someone would, would pass away uh the wi-fi would go out that way it didn't like slip out in an inappropriate manner um so it was always kind of a real bummer uh when the wi-fi would go out if you weren't on the app you knew that somewhere something happened um i don't know how much detail i can go into that but you can imagine I, that's something i never really told my family about i was like you don't want to tell your family that if you're not getting in contact with them for two or three days it means that someone might have passed away because then if you can't contact them. They might be worried. It might be you, but, uh, right. that was, a uh, that was something I remember having a lot.
0: But on your, so go back to your deployments and your second and third, I mean, what are some of your, your favorite memories or better stories that you have from those days?
1: Oh God. Um, man, uh, there's a lot. I mean, we had a lot of good ops. Um, I think my favorite, the favorite thing about going out on the gunships was just the thanks we got. You'd be surprised. Uh, I know you think about gunships, you think that it's a killing machine. It's there to kill, but it's it's more there. We looked at it as a protection thing. We're there to save lives, save the the lives of the ground troops, give them that warm fuzzy that we're overhead and uh, we're washing over them. So just getting the gratification from, um, from them was always really rewarding uh, and knowing that we could be there for them. Uh, there's a lot of there were a lot of funny stories I could share There's almost too many to share. Um, I
0: got all afternoon Packers don't play till three <laughs> thirty.
1: There's one that I don't know why there's one that comes to mind right now. Uh, <laughs> there was a, our engineer wanted some duct tape. So he called back to the gun deck or and said, Hey, can I get one of the gunners to bring me like six inches of duct tape? And this, this new gunner, bless him. Uh, he was such a go getter. He was like, I'm on it. He, he went up there. With probably about like, like a a tiny piece, like two strips, like a like a two inch strip of duct tape. And the engineer called back. It was just like, is this uh, this your idea, six inches? So from then on, <laughs> we, we called it uh, after his name. I won't say it, but we said like his name. The I'll make something up. Like the Casty six inch, <laughs> which you knew to be like way less than it was to be like two inches or something. <laughs> um god
2: he's talking about grid squares <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. what, no, what's a good square now
2: nothing some grid squares Something <laughs> you would sell some private hey go ask uh you know go. Oh, ask, grid square
3: yeah,
0: go, yeah ask, go 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 google it gordon no i heard good like <laughs> g-o-o-d and i'm like i've heard a, i know what a grid square is I've, I've been told you're supposed to keep a box of those on hand at all
1: times.
2: You tell, the, you tell the first, you know, you tell a private, go ask the first sergeant where a pricky eight
1: is, you know. <laughs> For us, it was a flight line. You, you tell someone to go get about six feet of flight line. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like,
2: what? Well, yeah, for the radios, we always did squelch fluid. Go find the squelch fluid. The radios some squelch fluid. Uh, some, some I, think our, I our, walking our, all over the freaking, <laughs> all over there. Uh, hey, Sorg, you seen the squelch fluid?
3: <laughs> yeah. my, my favorite was still the uh, suspension on the Bradleys. We'd have a kid get up on the Bradley and jump up and down on it in different spots to <laughs> test the suspension, and he'd be up there for an hour just fucking him jumping on the Bradley. We'd give him a piece of chalk and a ball peen hammer and
2: tell him to go test the armor for weak spots yep. <laughs> <Circled Yep. them. laughs> we did, we did that one out, too you'd go out to the motor pool and all the freaking Bradleys are all freaking they're all, they're all freaking beat up with white circles all over the first sergeant's just going insane with
3: rage you know, and... we, we gave a kid a trash bag and told him to get an exhaust sample from the Bradley and take it to the and he's just fucking walking around the motor pool with yeah. a bag of exhaust and they they're like we don't want that shit go give it to your PL and he yeah. was like, I don't want that shit. Go give it to First Sergeant. They kept sending him around. Eventually he got to one of the supply guys. Supply guys like, what the fuck is in that bag anyway? <laughs> <laughs> That's an exhaust sample.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there was – I think that's pretty much universal. Yeah. Yeah. Every branch of service has their own freaking – the fuck-fuck games as we used to call them.
0: <laughs> yeah. Casey, did you have to go through any of that, any of your guys above you? Give you, so, a, give you shit?
1: Yeah, I got a little shit. Luckily, my first crew downrange was pretty <clears> – <throat> uh, they're pretty nice and tame. Um, man, uh, one of the common things – uh, it goes back a long ways. I don't know how frequent it is now. Uh, it's, everything's got to be PC, and some people get offended. Um, was uh, was gunner hugs. So basically, the gunship's blacked out. You can't see where you're going. Someone would, you know, the pilot, engineer, someone from the booth, a sensor operator, FOCO, whoever, come back to use the bathroom because the, the bathroom's way in the back on the gun deck. So you'd black out all the lights so they can't see where they're going. They'd be feeling around, and you could – uh. Uh, sometimes a gunner would just like strip naked and hide somewhere <laughs> and then jump out, and scare somebody, you know. Oh, man. So if you ever see the term gunner hugs, it pretty much means like guys probably naked, probably going to pounce on you. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, some people, you got in trouble in that from time to time, but um, yeah very serious business, business up there <laughs> oh yeah they fool around a lot <laughs> so which, so now that, yep. which weapon system did you run again uh so the u models had a 105 millimeter 40 millimeter and a 25 millimeter so you knew how to work all three of those or
2: were you just tasked to one
1: no you as a gunner you knew all three of them and uh you're more i imagine you're it more of like a mechanic slash the loader. If yeah. uh, if any of the gun malfunctions, you knew that how the gun operated in and out, you knew how to fix it. Um, the twenty-five is a giant Gatling gun. Like it is pretty much self-operating. You knew how to safe it if the computers messed it up because yeah. it was just all electronics on that thing. The forty millimeter was a lot of just moving parts, uh, little pieces that oh. so it broke a lot. Did um, you
2: ever? Did you ever get to go up there and? work the guns like you ever get to go up there and shoot like on for target practice or because I mean, i assume yeah. you get do a lot of training with targets and everything so did you ever get to go up there where the guy who was running the,
1: the yeah the, yeah yeah so uh in training there was a few times where i got to uh, operate the sensor operators you know little track handle and shoot it there we also had manual fire so in the back there were times when the gun would malfunction to a point to where uh the sensor operator couldn't shoot it so we would manually be firing the gun the sensor would aim and he's here, yeah. ready, ready, fire. And then we'd set it off. On the 105, you had a, a lanyard. So that was the funnest part it's where you get to pull the lanyard and the cannon goes off. <laughs> that um,
2: sounds like fun. I'm yeah. Not, it, it was
1: like a fun. blast. <laughs> yeah. so there's
0: um, some debate on one of the pictures you sent me between some of the guys from our, our fraternity. Uh, you sent, you're holding a shell and on it it says two isis from theta chi <laughs> is yeah. that a 105 because somebody asked me and i go i said it looks like a 22 caliber to me
1: but <laughs> it's a 105 <laughs> yeah that's one of the that 105s 40, that was a 40 wasn't it uh i had a few different <clears throat> pictures i think the one that said uh two isis was a, a 105 um the only thing i drew i think on 40s i would draw little faces on them before they go on the gun um <laughs> sometimes
0: yeah, it looks like he sent me a picture with someone uh, some spent forty forty mil, I believe, just looking at the picture. But the yeah. on your ship, so there's a picture of you you're standing in front of a looks like a concrete barricade. It has the Hondo and the Maximum Carnage. Are those two gunships um, that you were on or is one yours, one someone else?
1: Yeah. Ten fifty six, which I think was Hondo, was the one that we primarily flew on. That was my first deployment. Um my pilot at the time, who was—he uh, was a really, he was an amazing pilot, um, sharp. He he decided to give me this little mission, a little side task, where he's like, "Hey, I kind of want to leave some heritage behind. Uh, I really want to paint the barriers with like, you know, the gunships, like what it's done." So I uh, I took the time to go to uh, a place to cut out the little stencils and cardboard, the little people and the houses and the vehicles and. Make a little stencil gunship and spray paint the uh the barriers and uh, they're still out there um <laughs> which is pretty neat that that's that was left behind
0: yeah just looking at it, i'll make sure to post it on facebook and instagram for people listening but it looks like you guys were quite really busy up there
1: <laughs> yeah um yeah it was that was my first deployment and it was uh it was pretty fast pace
2: you guys were nicer than we were <laughs> We always just made fun of somebody. Like, I think all over Iraq, there's Penny loves the cock and pretty much... The- <laughs> nice.
0: But yeah. And as we were talking before, you're on your exit now from the Air Force. And you know, what's it
1: like coming home now for the last time, getting ready for your retirement? Uh, it was... My, my experience was very unique in that um, I literally... Uh, retired. I was. I'm one of the last qualified U-model gunners on it. Like I retired the gunship. Me and like five other gunners. Everyone else has already moved off the train on a new aircraft. And uh, since it was retiring, like this past year has been pretty chill in the military, so to speak. So I got to kind of um, hang out at home a lot. Uh, got to spend some time to focus on what I'm going to do as I get out. Um, travel a little COVID I was supposed to travel a lot but obviously COVID and everything I didn't get to do any of that Um, it was uh, surreal to uh, to be coming out of this Um, it's a sensation similar to like I said that that pivotal moment in your life where you're leaving high school to go to college or college to go to your real job this is something that's a totally different animal because you're not only leaving your lifestyle like you're moving to a new job but you're you're leaving behind something that you're not going to, I don't know, experience again, probably unless you reenlist. Um,
2: has the air force given you any transition i mean what's the air force transition training like i'm, I'm, did, assu- I'm sure i'm assuming that they give you gave you some of course but
1: yeah i did a it's called taps tuition assistance program and you did like this one week course um i i did mine super early i did mine like a year ago most people do it like a few months before you get out um they go through like here's what you could expect from the va here's some benefits they're going to give you they go through they do a little like career exploration program for like, let's see what careers match up with you. And they try to make sure you have a set plan. They, if you want to, they go over resumes with you. Um, they do like mock job interviews if you want to do that. Um, it was a, it was an interesting little program. Uh, I feel like most people, if you're getting out, you already have an idea, but if you don't, they definitely do their best to uh, to help.
0: And i you know, talking to a lot of guys, especially in army or Marines, you know if you're 11 bravo infantry that doesn't really translate into a civilian job i mean have you thought right. about you know if you're um, going from- bullshit
3: bullshit <laughs> i could be a <laughs> janitor <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah uh, do they give you like a packet like i, here, I, can, I can relate this
1: yeah i can relate because there is no civilian aerial gunner gunship gunner um they're uh I've heard of people who like that's what they do. They take your experiences from the military and they translate that into like real-world resume uh, language. Um, I did my best to do that on my own. I might still like reach out to someone to try to help them, you know, because there is there is stuff that you while while operating a gun on the gunship may not mean anything to anyone outside the stress levels and the level of learning you have to go through leadership, all that kind of stuff does translate. I mean, it's a matter of rewording it on the resume, (laughs) right? Uh, And then outside of that, since I was a flyer, we had additional duties like office jobs when we weren't flying. So um, you had a little bit of of that to put on a resume as well. Um, So
0: anything lined up that you know have you thought about using your your uh, or law enforcement degree at all or going back to school with the gi bill
1: i don't think i'm gonna dabble in law enforcement um to be honest with you no i uh consider it for a while i don't think that's uh at that point i may as well stay military (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so right now my, my plan is to focus on my current uh Job, even though I don't make a paycheck to like a monthly paycheck, I'm a real estate agent in Florida. I got my license. I've been kind of dabbling in it. I at least want to take a month or two to learn it. I've had a couple of job offers outside of real estate um, here and there uh, that I'm going to consider. And I like to reserve my GI Bill. I like to use it eventually because I mean, at that point, you're getting free housing allowance and you're yeah, you educating gotta, yourself. You got to use it. A- you gotta use
3: it that's the best the
1: best thing you get out of the military oh
2: yeah you ever thought about like going to like a trade school or
1: something you know like i did i did i looked into that for a while um everyone i know keeps everyone who knows me uh keeps trying to talk me into doing carpentry because i know i like doing that on the side as a hobby i don't think they understand that uh carpentry in the real world it's a little different than just doing it as a hobby (laughs) but um i've looked into a lot of trade school stuff because i think that's you know we need more of that that's something that's really easy to get into it's a you're learning a genuine skill you're not just taking bs general you know english math that kind of stuff um i i've considered right now i'm waiting until the fall before i even use it because i want to take my time i don't want to waste the gi bill on something i'm not going to use uh i've considered dental hygiene and i've considered um hr either getting like another bachelor or just getting a master's in human resources because that's something that translates across the board in any field mm-hmm. um you know so i think it'd be useful well you shouldn't even
3: have to do any of the bullshit general classes because you already have a bachelor's
1: see that's what i thought right. too but um i know i looked into dental hygiene because i was like that that pays well their hours are are pretty good generally and uh I think I'd be interested in it uh but I went to a local college to see what their program looked like and they did have prerequisites some of which I don't have so it was like microbiology chemistry labs stuff that I didn't have going to be a bachelor in criminal justice so there's definitely still prerequisites that I would need to go to certain you know things
3: Oh, oh yeah, definitely. I just meant like, as far as saying like, you got to have, you know, a global right. perspectives class and all right. that bullshit <laughs> they make you do. You you shouldn't have to redo that.
1: Yeah, I should. not I was just kind of giving credit to. He mentioned uh, trade schools, and I think uh, yeah. if if I didn't have a bachelor's, that's definitely something I would I would be looking at is trade schools because that's where um, a lot of jobs are hurting. Like they need more trade school people, and it's something that you're literally just learning a direct skill. You're not really wasting time i'd say have you thought about something
3: in stem too because especially with an air force background like one of the guys that i work with um is prior air force who got his he hasn't even used his GI Bill. he got his degree while he was in the air force and got hired almost immediately after getting out
1: i'm not surprised i'm not really familiar too familiar with what stem is or does but i know i looked online at one point it stands at,
3: for
2: science, uh, technology, engineering,
1: and manufacturing. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I I, I only recognize the word because I looked at uh, clearance Math- jobs.
2: <laughs> mathematics, yeah. not manufacturing. Sorry, mathematics. Yeah.
1: Mathematics. Okay.
3: Well, it, I mean, I, I just thought because you talked about um, how a lot of the trade programs have a deficit right now mm-hmm. in skilled workers, but the same the same goes for most of the STEM fields, and those most of those pay pretty well.
1: I'd actually probably look into it because yeah, I looked at clearance jobs where they're looking for people who already have like a secret or or TS yeah. clearance, and that's one that pops up consistently is STEM.
0: Now you're you're about to be or you're going to be out here soon. Have you had that inkling to reverse course and get the enlist oh.
1: button? Oh god, that happens. For the entire past year, I had um, someone in my leadership who was a great guy. He he generally just wanted me to do what was right for me. He he texts me reenlistment bonus rates all the time, and he texts me all the facts about employment, unemployment. He's <laughs> just kind of trying to veer me because uh, we we had a three times multiplier bonus right now. So like, if I reenlisted and stayed in my career field, I would have gotten you know. Uh, I'll say like maybe like sixteen thousand dollars up front, and then another sixteen or so throughout my career, in bonus. So trying to turn down thirty to forty thousand dollars somewhere between there, was uh, not easy to do. I'll say. <laughs> but, well,
0: how old are you now? I know there's a what thirty four is a cutoff, I
1: believe. I I am uh, twenty nine now.
0: <laughs> so do you think, well, what if you you go into you know the civilian? Workforce for a little while. I mean, it's just not working out for you, or maybe you're not happy. You think maybe you'd look at the Air Force or?
1: I would consider reserves. Um, I'll say that's part of the reason why I got out when I did. Uh, I know people who they re enlisted their first time. And I'm like, if I re enlist once and I do another five or six years, at that point, I might as well do 20. If I'm you know, going to get out, happens. yeah, if I'm going to get out, I need to get out my first enlistment while I'm still under 30, barely and um, I have time to build uh, you know build up my experience in yeah. a, a different field while I'm still young
3: yep that's smart that's really yeah. smart that's smart. that's, that's what happens guys hit 10 years and then they're like well then fuck it I might as well do 20
1: yeah they, they get <laughs> they get nervous or they see a bonus yeah. and they're afraid they're not going to find work or do well on the outside and that fear makes them reenlist and
2: it's at that point it's really scary uh, I, yeah, I mean it it's is. a scary thing that you know especially as you start getting older that 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 starts becoming a, a big dark cloud that's just kind of following yeah. around and you, you start to question like well, what the hell am i
1: gonna do yeah i don't know it is scary even I, um i mean i know people who actually did retire and they still i heard they told a story in taps there was some like chief or senior master sergeant someone who made really well in the air force uh their whole career they retired and ended up like going bankrupt just because like they didn't know what to do they spent all their money they bought like all this lavish stuff and and like some people just don't know what to do on the outside Uh, because
2: i I read a statistic somewhere where like it's like almost 95 percent of the people who win the lottery Almost it, oh, oh, like 95% of them end up declaring bankruptcy because they just, you know, they go out and they're like, party, yeah, yeah. You
1: know? <laughs> And <laughs> instead of investing that money in like real estate or stocks or something responsible, yeah, or budgeting, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Or they just start going out and buying cars and buying houses and buying their family cars and, you know, family houses and stuff like that. Yeah. You
1: just, yep. Yep. Next thing
2: you know, you're in over your head and underwater. It's. You know?
1: Just people who don't know, uh, who never had that money and don't know what to do with it responsibly. So,
3: yeah, that's that's like I always used to tell um, what I always used to tell my privates when I was a squad leader, when they'd ask me, like, you know, what should I do? Sorry, should I get out? Should I reenlist? I'd be like, you know, you got to do what's right for you. But if you're going to get out, have a plan. Yeah. Like know what you're going to do, you know, and it's not like, you know, last minute, like, all right, fuck it. I'll go, I'll go do welding or whatever. Not, I mean, that's, that's a perfectly viable um, career option, but there was a lot of guys who just like panicked at the last minute. They're like, I'm going to go do that. Like, like you should, you need to start planning like a year out. Right. And, and figure out like what you're going to do. Are you going to go back to school? Are you going to try to get a job right away? Like as long as you have that plan, it's, it's a lot less scary.
1: Right. You need, You need to have finances saved up while you're in the military. So you can have that nest egg and then you need to have plan and then realistic expectations, I think would be the biggest thing Uh, Just understand what you're getting into.
0: Does a question for all three of you and something that kind of come up in my work field as of recent, does the army tell you or teach you give you a class about 401k Roth IRA or anything, you know, putting your retirement egg away, or is it, oh, here's a piece of paper, look at it when you can. They, they do, but it's like, you know, it's, very, it's a couple yeah,
3: hours and you're done. It's pretty basic.
2: Yeah, it's basic. But, I mean, they, the Army – I know the Army and the Guard have their own kind of retirement plans as well, you know. um, I can't speak for the Air Force or anything, but, you know, I know several guys. In fact, the guy that I invest with myself, he was in the Army with me, and he got really – interested in it because you know he started digging a little bit more into it and then he made it his career path once he retired well he's gonna he's getting ready to retire out you know but um yeah you know there's there's some pretty good programs within the army that you know with i think within all the service branches really that gets you kind of prepared for for um what you're going to do but in all honesty it's only the older guys who kind of really take notice of it or the guys who have it you know or people who are interested in finance to begin with because i can tell you like the only reason i started looking into it was because my wife who you know as an accountant and who was really interested in stuff like that was sitting there going "You, hey you need to you need to find out about this this is a good idea you know what i mean other than that, I was like, you know, yeah, man, we're going to go drink beer. And go shoot guns, you know? and So, I mean, it's, you know, but once you start, once you start getting into it a little bit, it's actually really, I thought, you know, really kind of interesting. There's, there's some cool stuff, but young kids, you know, when you first started young kids, those younger guys, they don't care about that stuff. It's, you know, unless they're really smart or they have a natural tendency towards it. But yeah, most of them would just want to go out and buy the newest, hottest, latest car and throw some rims on it and the, the, the dope-ass freaking sound systems. With 23% APR.
1: Yeah. Oh <laughs> dad, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the old Mustang. Yeah, our drill sergeants. Camaro.
2: Yeah. yeah, I remember being in basic, and our drill sergeants would yell, yell, at guys, you know, don't do that shit, don't do it. And sure shit. Everybody went out. And it was
3: it was always don't buy don't buy a nice car right out of the basic. Nope. Yeah. Don't marry it. Don't marry a stripper. And like I'd say, <laughs> like half the guys <laughs> fucked that up.
2: Three-quarters of those guys went out and bought a freaking stupid-ass car and married a stripper, you know, or some
0: kind of (laughs) dependopotomous. (laughs)
1: Dependopotomous, yeah. We had a guy uh-huh. in our unit had to get a. He was Tdy. They were they're just uh. It was because of a huracan. We huracan the aircraft to Arkansas because the hurricane was coming in. So he was in Arkansas and he literally his cards got declined at a restaurant. People were like, "Why are your car? You're you're in the military. Why do you have no money?" <laughs> he found out his wife had spent everything like shopping around, and she didn't work. You know, she stayed at home. So they forced him to go to uh finance and really sit down. Um, and that happens all the time. People, yep. you know, just lose yep. track of it.
0: And Casey, for you, I mean, uh, you know, talk, Josh mentioned there's some programs. I mean, what's the Air Force offer? Do they
1: um, help you out with that? The, so I mentioned TAPS, the tuition, uh, or tuition, uh, transition assistance program. When you get out, they make you do that one-week course. They do go over finances. They they go over, like, you know, let's look at a budget. You know, what are you realistically spending? Uh there's a guy that you can go to. They call him Money Mike, I think. he He's all about finance and investing. And if you ever have problems, you can go to him, and he'll he'll talk to you about it. There's nothing that they really force on you as far as financing. Um, uh, most people, like leadership, are going to tell you to invest in your uh, TSP or Roth uh, to a certain degree. A lot of people are going to advise you to look into real estate. Um, but it's really on you, the individual, to uh, Take an interest in it or not, um, yeah. Well, and
0: going back to getting out, and as you're doing all this, and you said, you know, guys are trying to talk you into staying, and friends and family outside of the military, I mean, where they, where they sit on that?
1: Um, so everyone in my leadership um, that I've talked to. they they generally have the same like i'm glad you have a plan um it you know you have everything set up so i think you're gonna be just fine Uh, my friends generally say the same thing that it, it looks like i have a really good plan but um it it really doesn't matter how good a plan like i make for myself or how big of a nest egg i make for myself i'm still gonna be uh nervous and worried but um that's just part of life. You can never be too, I, for me, at least, I feel like you can never be too prepared. Um, uh, but most people seem to think that I'll be just fine.
0: So then now that you're all but out, what'd you say has been the the biggest challenge over your career?
1: The biggest challenge of my career. Wow. That's a good one.
0: Um, on the flip side of that, what's been the, the biggest reward for you?
1: I could say for the reward part, uh, there are a few moments that come to mind as i uh, being really proud. Uh, like I said, anytime we did an op and like the ground guys would come thank us, that was really rewarding. Uh, that in itself, knowing that someone appreciated what we do and um, that we genuinely helped someone was really rewarding. Um, I was someone who generally tried at everything I did. So I made, honor graduate from basic uh so my parents being there to see that uh even though it was like a small thing um some people think it's dumb to be a top 10 percent or whatever uh I I was really like happy about it I did the same thing for airman leadership school when I went to be a staff you go through ALS where you go through this course with everyone else going to be a staff sergeant I made distinguished graduate for that and my parents showed up for it so that was really rewarding that uh, uh they got to see see that and see all my leadership there. And um, it was a really proud moment for me. Uh, as far as the most challenging thing, it was definitely uh, training, I'd say, initially, when I first got the Herbert Field. Learning this gunship, there were so many things you need to learn. And- stay proficient in and uh so many emergency procedures so many malfunctions so many pieces of knowledge and if you didn't have if you had everything memorized they were going to find the gaps they're going to look inside the regs (laughs) of hundreds of pages and find something that you didn't know and say hey you know uh how how fast do we need to be going for the windshield wipers to work or something random like that and you'd have to find it (laughs) so um i'd say keeping up with the uh the, your learning pace was um was one of the most challenging parts,
2: tactically and technically proficient.
1: Yes, yes, staying proficient, uh, was big.
2: So I got a question. So you're getting out. Is there a significant other that is is influencing this decision, or
1: <laughs> nope, nope. It's actually uh the opposite. I've uh this past year, I've almost been. I mean, I've I've had a girlfriend, and, uh, but. She was leaving because she's in the military. So, if anything, I've been avoiding I don't want to say avoiding relationships, but I've been keeping myself more or less uh, not tied down. I don't have, you know, a I don't have kids. I don't have a wife right now. I don't have a girlfriend. I don't have a dog right now, which, although I really want one, I recognize if I get one, it's going to tie me down. Um, There's nothing tying me to one spot, which I like right now. And I have all the savings I would ever need. So uh, I am quite literally as free as you could be as a, you know, 29-year-old single male to up uproot myself and go wherever I want. That being Vegas. said, I don't think I all will. Right. You're going to Vegas, <laughs> dude. Yeah, I, I say that. I say that like I'm not tied down, but realistically, I know I've, I'm staying in the area so I could be around my friends. Um, what part
2: of Florida, What part of Florida are you in?
1: Uh, Herbert Field, it's in Fort Walton, so uh, it's close to, like, Pensacola, Destin, Navarre. It's the Emerald Coast, you know, the nice sandy beaches. Yeah,
2: uh, I'll be there in two weeks, so in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be uh, over by the Gainesville area visiting some family. Oh, nice. Go That's down great, to man. Tampa and Cedar Key and all that,
1: so. Sweet, yeah. It's a, it's a great place to be. <laughs> Yeah,
2: my dad seems to like it. You so
1: A lot of people retire down here. You know,
2: it's the law or something. Here. Especially if you're like from New York, you got to go to Florida or something.
1: Yeah, we get a lot of retirees, Canadians, uh, local people on vacation from Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, all those places. All the South just floods in. Um,
0: but the so last question for me. What kind of advice do you have to or would you give to someone that's about to go into the military? They're looking to go in and what advice would you give to somebody that's they're on the fence of either should I get out or should I re-enlist?
1: So if if you're going to go into the military, I I'd, I'd say don't don't rely on one person's word. Uh, no matter what branch you go into, Army, Marines, Navy, Air Force, whatever, uh, everyone's experience is going to be slightly different. Um, some people in the Air Force are going to tell you that it's grueling. You have to work six to four. But that's not true for every job. Mine was super chill. Uh, some people in you know, some branches are going to tell you uh, they loved it. Some are going to hate it. Um, it. It just depends on you yourself and whether you not like to travel. Uh, it's its rolling the it, – Joining the military is literally just rolling dice. You don't know where you're going to be stationed, you can't guarantee what your job is going to be, so you're taking a chance to go do something, and it's worthwhile. You'll you'll gain experience, you're going to gain friendships, you're going to travel, um, but just know you can't, you're not going to go into the military knowing exactly what you're going to do, where you're going to go. You you are rolling dice, and it's you're going to get a lot. It's it's for the better, but. Um, but yeah, uh, as far as getting out, uh, kind of like we, we talked about earlier, uh, most people are really afraid of, of getting out because of uh, you're losing that job security, that stable income. But there are so many opportunities out there um, that are available to you and you have so many tools. It's really not as scary as it seems. Uh, I turned down a huge bonus to get out um, and I'm still not really fretting about it because I mean in this past week alone, like I was literally separating, I had someone come to me and offer me talk to me about, you know, going work for their company here or going over, you know, about an hour away to be assistant manager here. And uh these things just kind of pop up unexpectedly. You never know what's going to happen. Um just be prepared financially. Uh give yourself a career plan on what you want to do, you know, where you want to go to school. Uh and definitely put yourself out there, let it be known. That you're looking for work. LinkedIn is a great resource. Um, there's a lot of it other is. great like hiring resources, and they'll just they throw jobs at you all the time. And it's it's crazy. Um, yeah. Josh, Steve, anything else?
2: Oh, well, I got yeah. What's the um like? What's the one thing that you're not gonna miss about the Air Force? I guess. And second part of that question is, you know, I usually ask this of almost everybody that I talk to: is you know, any regrets? Are there any regrets? But you know.
1: Hmm. The one thing I'm not gonna miss about the Air Force um, is also the one thing I probably will miss, which is uh, all the things you have to do, like that are actually. I, it's it's the training i'm not going to miss all the random training to deploy having to go through you have to have so many little things checked off you know make sure you're you have a basically a checklist of things to do and it's like that for everything in the military not having to deal with these giant checklists of things that most of which aren't relevant or don't matter to you uh it's so nice to to not have to deal with that stuff um not I, having to shave every day. Not yep, not having to <laughs> shave every day. I'll uh I grow out my hair, grow out a beard if I wanted, um to the best of my ability. Uh I'd say as far as if there's anything I regretted, uh i wish i would have deployed more i wish i would have fought to deploy more i I really didn't care for like i was i was like deploy me when you need me i was that guy who was like if you ever need me to hold alert or deploy i'll do it but i'm not going to fight for it and uh now i'm looking back like that was easy money and it's an experience that no one will ever get to experience again because that gunship is retired so i think i should have uh done that more
2: um cool man right on
1: well, appreciate it, Casey. Thanks for coming on
0: the show and taking time out your afternoon. And I'm just going to take care of the closing notes myself. And thanks for everyone popping on the stream. Really appreciate it. And we will catch you next time. Cheers. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, thank you again, Casey, for taking the time to be on the show. And thank you for everyone for taking the time to tune into this episode. Make sure you stay up to date with future guests in live recording dates by following the show on Facebook and Instagram at no story left behind podcast. And don't forget to check out my other show called rules of the arena. You can find that on Facebook, Instagram at rules of the arena podcast. You can find both shows on YouTube by just searching rules of the arena podcast. You can also come hang out with us on Twitch during live recordings by going to twitch.tv slash rules of the arena. And if you'd like support the show uh, please do me a little favor go and leave a review on apple Podcasts, audible or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast and you can also click the link in the episode description there you can head over to patreon.com slash rules of arena where i have a little tip jar set up it's just a dollar a month is all i ask and there's now merch available click on the merch store and check out the hammer and axe collection is available now for a limited time and if you have any comments questions or show ideas or you'd like to be a guest on the show shoot me an email or get in touch with me over at social media my email is gordon at studios.com. and if you're a veteran in crisis or concerned about someone connect with a veteran's crisis line to reach a caring qualified responder with the department of veteran affairs many of them are veterans themselves you can call one 800 273 8255 or text 838255 to speak with a qualified caring VA responder available 24-7. Thank you again, everyone, and we will catch you next time.